Hey y'all, I'm Melanie. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Old North State Podcast. We're bringing you on a deep dive into all things North Carolina. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Or a good evening. Good evening. Welcome back to the Old North States podcast. Welcome. Um, you're running the show today. I am. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what we're talking about? A true crime mm-hmm. story. I don't even think you told me her name. Cool. That's A-OK. Uh, I'm assuming it's a her name, honestly. Yep. Yep. What other way to start off Women's History Month than talking about the disappearance of a woman? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, we are talking about the disappearance of Leah Roberts today. Leah Roberts. But first, I'm going to tell you where the name Bladen County came from. Ooh. We've talked about Bladen County before. We have. So... Bladen County was established in 1734, and it was named after Martin Bladen, a member of the Board of Trade, which the Board of Trade is a British government body concerned with commerce and industry. Hmm. Sophisticated. Yeah, so Martin Bladen. And, uh, yeah, that's the T for him. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Any housekeeping? Yeah. Last Saturday, we hung out with Caps. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Forgot. The Charlotte Area Paranormal Society. We <laughs> finally went to one of their meetups after talking about doing it for years. Yeah. We were finally available to go. We went to the Steel Creek Presbyterian um, cemetery or graveyard because it's attached to a church. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, would it be considered a cemetery now since the church is the not active? Yeah. The, it's near the airport. So the airport has taken over the haunted church and has now locked us out. How they, how dare they keep dare us they? from celebrating our Lord and savior? What are they hiding in there? That's my question. Aliens. Yeah. So we hung out with Caps in this uh, cemetery slash graveyard. We, uh, you know, it was just a nice, I was going to say fall day, but it was winter. Um, (laughs) It was cold. It was cold. We were walking around. Um, We had our EMF detector, Mm -hmm. electronic, (laughs) electromagnetic field detector. Um, And so did everyone else. There was about 10 of us or so, not even. Um, yeah, just walking around, chatted with some folks. They had some of their ghost hunting equipment, like the spirit box. Mm-hmm. One lady had the, um, dowsing rods, dowsing rods, which I want some now. Yeah. Nothing, nothing extra spooky happened. We got some K2 hits that were out of the ordinary. Yeah. Just a lot of coincidences. A lot of like the K2 is basically like the same as an EMF detector and, like we were all standing next to this one grave where Tina said that she had seen a, a man in like 1950s 
Tina McSwain, yeah. the director of of Caps. Of Caps. She um she said that she had one time seen a man like dressed in 50 style clothing like leaned up against his grave. Yeah, her Tina Tingle was going off. Her Tina Tingle. <laughs> and um and, and we were all standing there and there's just me and this other guy and then this woman and all of our EMF detectors were just like going crazy. And it wasn't like mine wasn't. Sorry. That's okay. But, um, and it would only happen, like, at certain times. It was just weird. Yeah. And then we were all standing over at another grave at one point, and we were, they were, like, singing hymns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it started going off again, so that was pretty cool. Jason is, <laughs> Jason's going to sneeze. Um, what is that noise? Is that your drink? Anyway, so yeah, it was fun. A great time was had by all. Yes. Hope to go back again soon. Yeah. It's the second oldest church in Mecklenburg County. Yes. So yeah, anyway, without further ado. Yeah, take it take it away. <laughs> um, just so everybody knows, uh, I have not given Jason the script, so... All of his reactions are genuine. I did no backup research. Nope. Going in blinds here. Going in blind. So, Leah Toby Roberts was born July 26th, 1976 in Durham, North... Dur July 23rd, excuse me. Did I say 26th? Yeah. Sorry. July 23rd, 1976 in Durham, North Carolina. She was the youngest of three children. When she was 17 years old and his senior... At Northern High School, her father was diagnosed with a chronic lung condition that put a lot of strain on the family. Side note, they are building a new Northern Durham High School. Cool. Yep. In <laughs> 1995, <laughs> she began college at NC State University, and when she was a sophomore, her mother suddenly died from undetected heart disease. She took some time off from school after her mother died, and during which... She was involved in a near-fatal car accident. A transfer truck pulled out in front of her, and she crashed into the back of it, shattering her femur and puncturing a lung. Surgeons had to insert a metal rod into her leg to help the bone heal. Her sister, Kara, um, said that she felt like she was going to die immediately as soon as the truck pulled out in front of her. During her recovery, she said she felt born again and wanted to live her life to the fullest. Leah returned to college in the fall of 1998. She studied abroad in Spain and enrolled in a field program in Costa Rica. In the spring of 1999, three weeks before she was set to leave for Costa Rica, Leah's father died. She decided to continue on with the program anyway, and when Leah's roommate Nicole visited her in Costa Rica, she said Leah didn't seem to be affected by her father's death and didn't appear to be outwardly grieving. Instead, she was immersing herself with the local culture and filling her time with different activities. Eat, pray, love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Leah dropped out of North Carolina State six months before graduating with Spanish and anthropology degrees. Whoop, whoop. Her brother Heath and sister Kara tried convincing her to just stick it out, but she refused to go back. Instead... She started pulling away from her core group of friends and started hanging out at local coffee shops like Cup of Joe in Durham. 
She learned to play guitar, took up photography, and adopted a kitten, which she named Bee. She felt that she didn't need a, a degree to move on with her life. At the local coffee shops, Leah began writing poetry about the meaning of life, and she made new friends like Janine Quiller, who she frequently discussed Jack Kerouac with. The pair bonded over Kerouac's 1958 novel, The Dharma Bums, which is a sequel to On the Road, where Kerouac discusses his time spent as a fire lookout for the U.S. Forest Service on Desolation Peak in the Northern Cascade Mountains in Washington State. Kerouac talks about how beautiful the landscape was and how profoundly impacted he was by the area, which really resonated with Leah. Everyone said that Leah was itching to get out on the road and do some soul-searching. Leah wasn't sad or depressed, but she wanted to be a free spirit and figure out how to deal with the deaths of her parents and her own near-death experience. On the morning of Thursday, March 9th, 2000, Leah spoke to her sister Kara over the phone. They didn't make any firm plans together, but they ended the conversation with the understanding that they would soon see each other. They talked about what Leah was going to do with her life, and she gave Kara no reason to be concerned. I can't, like, I don't want to make any jokes because I don't know how this ends, and I don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> All interesting stuff, though. Yeah? Yeah. You can tell me later. Well, I'll just save them till the end. I no, I'm saying I don't like I don't want to make any jokes. That's fair. I've Very got no fair. jokes to make. Good. So that afternoon, Leah and her roommate Nicole made plans to babysit the next day. Nicole went to work and when she returned, Leah's nineteen ninety three white Jeep Cherokee was gone and so was Leah. Nicole thought nothing of it. The next day, March tenth, Leah did not show up to her babysitting job. Nicole assumed that Leah had just forgotten or that something else had come up. Leah didn't have a job, she, so she was living off of the money that she inherited from her parents. She didn't have to go to school, and she really didn't have to report to anybody. So sometimes she would just kind of come and go unpredictably, and she and Nicole would often go a few days without seeing each other. So that was, that was pretty normal. So by the end of Saturday, March 11th, however, Leah had still not returned home. Her friends and family began calling her house to try and find her. She had made different plans with people and never showed up. Gone without a trace? Yes. Mm. So far. So, on the morning of Monday, March 13th, our favorite day of the year. What month was it? What? What month was it? March. Oh, you just said that. March 13th. That's a, uh, yeah. Big, big day. Marriage anniversary. Yeah. Slash day they caught Henry Louis Wallace, the Taco Bell Strangler, and slash Tryon House Fire. Yeah, that one too. Slash Death Row Granny? I think so. Yeah. There's another one. There is another one. Man, I knew we should have written them down. And it was it was on a Friday, that last one. Mm. So, so on the morning of March 13th, Kara showed up to Leah's house very worried and went directly into her room. It was clear that she had left voluntarily, but knowing her emotional state, Kara and Nicole decided to file a missing persons report with the Raleigh Police Department. Kara came back the next day, and they searched Leah's room. A significant amount of her clothes were gone, suggesting a planned lengthy absence. Her kitten B was also gone. Is B going to be okay? 
Oh, no. Spoiler alert. Oh, no. We never find out what happens to B. Oh, no. They have absolutely no idea what happened to this kitten. Well. Just spoiler alert. Yeah. Thanks for the heads up. I need time to brace myself. Yeah. Keep going. So Kara found a folded up piece of paper and a bundled up wad of cash. So on the paper was a note. The note said that the cash was for rent and expenses for a month, suggesting that she would be back. The note was cryptic, but it said, quote, I'm not suicidal. I'm the opposite. Remember Kerouac, end quote. Leah had also drawn the smile of the Cheshire cat on the note. So her sister Kara said the smile was a little creepy, but that Leah loved Alice in Wonderland. So it probably wasn't just a doodle since the Cheshire cat disappears and reappears. And so that suggested to Kara that Leah intended to come home. Hmm. That's a little. Yeah, but so. I mean, that's just wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, So on. So the ID channel did a episode of the show Disappeared on Leah back in like 2011. And I'm going to mention it at the end. Um, But they show the note. And it's just like writing all over it. And then like, 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 just like writing, just like sentences, like, I'm not suicidal. I'm not depressed. It's like all over the place. Like here's rent for a month, you know, just, it's very sporadic. Kind of just like writing. Yeah. Yeah. But, But like sometimes like when I'm on the phone and I'm having to write notes, I'll like write notes in one spot and then next phone call, I'll write notes in another spot. Like, like that. Yeah. So it was very sporadic. Um, so before Leah left for Costa Rica, she had given Kara power of attorney over her bank accounts. So, you know, she didn't have her parents to control her money and she was going international. So honestly, pretty smart. So still having power of attorney, Kara turned, uh, to Leah's bank statements to try to locate her sister. She discovered that on March 9th, after they had talked, Leah withdrew $3,000 from her bank account and then used her debit card to pay for a motel room outside of Memphis in Lebanon, Tennessee. Leah's later transactions indicated that she took Interstate 40 west through Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and then Interstate 5 north through California up to Oregon, getting gas and food along the way. On March 13th, Leah made her last traceable purchase at a gas station in Brooks, Oregon, shortly after midnight. To understand why Leah had headed to the Pacific Northwest, Kara Nicole and Leah's best friend, Susie Smith, went around to the coffee shops in Durham to find anyone who might have known Leah. It was there where they met Janine, where she explained how she and Leah bonded over Jack Kerouac. Janine said, quote, In the book, he had gone to Washington State and had thought a lot about what was important to him. It really resonated with her. She wanted to be alone and figure everything out since she had been having a tough time. End quote. She had her own little into the wild. She did. Um, Kara was relieved to discover that this was what her sister was doing, which didn't really give her any reason to believe something bad had happened to her. Bad being subjective in this case. Bad being subjective in this case. And this, you know, this time before... What years? This was the 70s? 2000. Oh, never mind. <laughs> That's right. She was born in 76. Yeah, she's born in 76. So, I mean, there were cell phones, but it wasn't like... You know, this was back in the day when you still had to pay like 50 cents for a text message. <laughs> so, Kara's 
Sorry, the cat was doing Speaking something. That's why I left. The wild. Yeah. So Kara's 26th birthday was on March 18th, and she expected that Leah would at least call her to wish her a happy birthday. Instead, when Kara got home that day, she found a note from the Durham County Sheriff's Department telling her to call the Whatcom County Sheriff's Office in Bellingham, Washington. Early that morning, a couple was taking a jog along Canyon Creek Road off the Mount Baker Highway, just a short distance from the United States-Canadian border. The road was an old logging pass about 30 miles east of Bellingham, Washington, and was essentially in the middle of nowhere. The man noticed articles of clothing on the side of the road by a slight curve at the top of a slope. Some of the clothing had been tied to trees and branches by the road. When the couple reached the clothes, he looked down uh, into the ravine below and saw a vehicle. He called 911 to report a crashed white Jeep Cherokee in a ditch. A deputy responded and initially treated it as a drunk driving crash because that was frequent occurrence for the area. The deputy automatically realized, however, that this was unique because the car had North Carolina plates and this was 3,000 miles away from North Carolina. Washington State Police quickly found out that this was not their typical crash site. They determined the Jeep had been traveling between 35 and 40 miles per hour when it went off the road based off the extent to which the car and the trees on the slope were damaged. The car was going uphill. It went end over end and then side over side before landing at the bottom of this ditch. They said, quote, with the speed that the vehicle was traveling and the amount of damage to the vehicle, you would anticipate some type of injury to the person inside, at least some type of evidence to indicate contact damage that the person had been inside the vehicle, end quote. However, upon further investigation, although the contents inside the vehicle were strewn about, there was no blood inside the Jeep or anywhere in the surrounding area. There was no damage to the windshield or the steering wheel, as there would be if someone you know, hit their body or their head on it. The seat belts weren't stretched as if somebody was seat belted in and, you know, falling forward with force. And to further this mystery, the sheriff's department found, quote, there's nothing to indicate the wheel was tied and that it was pushed off the road. We couldn't find any marks on the back that indicated anybody had pushed it to where it was. If you had somebody driving the vehicle and they jumped out, you would have taken your life into your own hands trying to jump out of the vehicle at that speed, end quote. So, they have no idea how this vehicle got to the bottom of this ditch. What are your thoughts? I don't want to say aliens. <laughs> so I won't. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well. Inside the Jeep were blankets and pillows hung inside the windows, suggesting that it had been used as a shelter after the crash. Also inside the vehicle, investigators found Leah's passport, her checkbook, her driver's license, some CDs, and her guitar. There were bits of cat food and a small cat carrier inside the Jeep, which confirmed she had taken her kitten B with her. Some of her other belongings were also strewn about the woods around the car. Still... No trace of her anywhere other than this. Kara and her brother Heath flew into Bellingham to assist in the search four days after Leah's car was found. They visited the crash site and created a flyer that they've posted throughout the town. 
Because Leah had crossed state lines, the FBI was brought in. For two weeks, investigators worked on a theory that Leah had been injured and wandered off. They used search dogs, cadaver dogs. They brought in helicopters and did aerial searches. They did ground searches of the area she could have reached on foot. There was a river nearby. They went downstream and looked, and they could find absolutely no trace of Leah anywhere. They even brought out metal detectors to see if they could locate her body based off of the metal rod in her leg. I mean, yes, some creative solutions. Creative. Creative problem solving. Yeah. Hold on, I need, I need some tea. When Kara and Heath went around to local businesses with their missing flyer, missing persons flyer to inquire if anyone had seen Leah, uh, one of the things they had found in Leah's car was a little box of mementos in her trip, uh, in, which included a movie sub ticket. So they went to um, the movie theater, which was the Bellingham's Bell's Fair Shopping Mall. And the ticket stub was for the March 13th, 10 p.m. showing of American Beauty. So that would have indicated that Leah had spent time in Bellingham after a five to six hour drive from where she had bought gas in Oregon. So no one at the theater remembered Leah, but Kara and Heath went to the food court and they found the mall's only sit-down restaurant that seems like a place that Leah might go. Investigators were led to two customers who had not only remembered Leah, but they had sat on each side of her at the bar and talked to her. They were called, she talked about her trip plans, and she also talked about Jack Kerouac. They both said she was very warm and willing to talk about her life. One of those men phoned into the police station and claimed that Leah had left with a third man who she called by name, and she named him, she called him Barry. He gave police such an accurate description of Barry that they called in a sketch artist. The second man, however, never recalled seeing a third man there and he, or remembering Leah even leaving, so his account did not match the first man's account. This led investigators to believe that this Barry person was some type of ruse, but that man said that he never saw her after that day. The misdirect. Yeah, but like why? <clears throat> why people lie the, uh, yeah so but <laughs> but like they I mean they brought in a sketch artist <laughs> so, I mean so like why though like if this if her whole thing was like hey I'm gonna go just like disappear into the woods and kind of leave my old path behind me like why go looking for her this is you know part of it yeah, but she was going to come back. Like, everything indicated she was coming back. Did it? Yeah. How so? She only left rent for a month. Like... I mean... She didn't take all of her belongings. Oh, I guess... I don't know. I don't... I mean, I'm she, seeing it as more of like an into the wild thing for her. She's like, hey, I'm going to, you know, leave this life behind me and go die in the woods. It wasn't that. It was just like she wanted to have this, exper this experience so she could figure out what she wanted to do with her life. She just wanted to like, the, take this road trip and then, you know, figure her life out and come back and move on. That was kind of her whole goal. But wouldn't like she tell people that? Exactly. That's why it's weird. Hmm. 
I I still think that what I'm saying is valid. Yeah, I'm I'm and you're I'm not saying it's not valid. Yeah, so I don't know. But I don't think it's worth using all this these resources to track down someone who's trying to like disappear, you know. She might not have been trying to disappear. Anyway. Where was I? Oh yeah. So Police began to believe that Leah was the victim of a crime, but they figured that robbery was not the motive. In some of her pants pockets, they found $2,500, indicating that she had not spent much money since arriving in Bellingham on Monday the 13th. Also, under the floor mat of Leah's car, they found her mother's engagement ring. Leah always wore this ring. She never took it off. Uh, because she treasured it so much, and it gave her a connection to her late mother. Leah's family and friends are a thousand percent adamant that she would not have taken this ring off voluntarily unless she had some sort of amnesia. Like that, they spent like a solid like five minutes talking about this ring on the disappeared episode. They were like, she would never take it off. Hmm. Like everyone they interviewed said she would never take that thing off. So that's weird. And Investigators were able to obtain some security footage from the gas station in Oregon where she had made her last traceable purchase before Bellingham. The footage was from inside the store. Leah was alone and seemed to be in good condition. In the footage, she can be seen peering out the window of the gas station several times while the clerk rang her up, which suggested to police that she may have had a companion outside, perhaps this very person. There were no cameras on the outside of the station, so it's impossible to know exactly what she was looking at. Some believe she may have just been trying to read her pump number. So, you know, when you go in to get your receipt or whatever, you're like, oh, give me the receipt for... And you mm -hmm. look out and you try to find your pump. So police are confident that if she was traveling with a companion, though, they there was another... That, that there was not another person traveling in her car. So if there was somebody traveling with her, they were traveling in their own car. A few days after the Jeep was discovered, uh, a man called into the sheriff's office to report a sighting of Leah. He claimed his wife had seen her, confused and disoriented, wandering around the gas station parking lot in Everett, which is closer to Seattle and about 60 miles south of Bellingham. The man panicked and hung up before giving them any more information. Police believe that this sighting was credible, and they consider this to be the very last sighting of Leah. After this, the case went cold. In 2001, Unsolved Mysteries ran a segment on Leah that generated some new tips, indicating she had been seen elsewhere in the United States, but none of them proved to be credible. In 2004... Kara contacted Monica Kaysen, a Wilmington woman who helped other families find missing loved ones after their cases have gone cold. Monica organized a cross-country caravan, taking Leah's route west to raise awareness on the fourth anniversary of her disappearance. The next year, in 2005, Monica and Kara appeared on Larry King Live together. I was unable to find the video for that, so if anybody finds it, please send it to me. After the initial investigation, Kara insisted that the sheriff's department keep Leah's Jeep. She knew that sometimes in cold cases, more clues can turn up later. 
In 2006, the lead detective, Mark Joseph, retired and passed the files on to two younger detectives with fresh eyes, Detective Collins and Detective Smith. Upon reviewing the evidence again, they realized that the car had not been fully processed the first time around. Some of the items inside had not been fully analyzed, and no one had ever bothered to look under the hood. When they opened up the hood in December 2006, they immediately found that a wire had been cut, which allowed the car to accelerate without anyone having to press the gas pedal. This confirmed the suspicions that no one was in the car when it went off the road. This also indicated that someone with mechanic knowledge would have probably been the person to tamper with that wire. Then detectives also found a fingerprint under the hood and some male DNA on an article of Leah's clothing. Hmm. Suspish. So this led detectives back to that man from the restaurant who claimed Leah had left with this Barry person. That man had a military background and he also worked as a mechanic. In the interim, he had moved to Canada, which complicated getting his fingerprints and his DNA. The ID channel aired their episode of Disappeared in 2011, and in the episode, they said that they were still waiting on the DNA results. It took them two years to get this man's DNA sample, but once it came back, both the fingerprints and the DNA were not a match. Investigators and Leah's brother Heath and sister Kara continue to hope new evidence will reveal itself that will lead to a resolution in the case. Her family is adamant that she would not have disappeared on her own and that it's difficult for them to believe that she would have gone through this much effort to fool people. If you have any information on Leah's disappearance, please contact the Whatcom County Sheriff's Department. Now, your girl went on Reddit. Oh boy. And the unsolved.com and there are lot of opinions about what happened to Leah. So, some people think that serial killer Israel Keys killed her. Who's that? Israel Keys is a serial killer who was um, active in the Pacific Northwest in the 90s and early 2000s. Did he have any, like, like an MO? Um... I, I don't know. I Honestly, I didn't look that much into him. But I do know that during the time period that Leah disappeared, he was in the military. And they believe that he was inactive during that time. Hmm. But, like, so one person says on Unsolved.com, Israel Keys, he was smart enough to stage the accident by cutting the accelerator safety cable he probably was the one who called about the gas station tip, too. I have a hunch he'd go after cars with out-of-state plates. If he could hide a car, that the person would be reported missing in their home state, not far away where they drove to. And we know he was good at getting rid of bodies. Woof. Um, yeah, that makes sense. He was active in Washington. Um, however, like during this time period, he lived like a solid like four hours away. But he did travel to Chicago one time just to kill people, so... Yeah, he has no problem uh, traveling for work. Yeah. Um, there was another one that I believe. It was just weird. Doo, doo, doo. A lot of people think that this is um, 
reminiscent of the Mara Murray story, which I'm not as familiar with. Someone thinks that she disappeared and flew and flowed into the ocean and, like, because you know how in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of times, like, feet and shoes will wash up on the West Coast? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> okay, well, that's a thing. Okay. Um, so some people think that that could have happened to her. There were also a couple comments that say that um, they've seen a girl who looks like her in Honolulu, Hawaii, um, who is always just kind of walking around, like, dazed and confused at this woman's shelter. Hmm. There was, like, multiple comments that said that. And then I found on Reddit that in 2014, a mummified body was found in the same region. The body was unrecognizable, but was apparently classified as a white male between 33 and 55, which obviously is unlike 23-year-old female Leah Roberts. However, um, massive it says, however, massive mistakes have been made on badly decayed bodies before, including incorrect gender ID. They need a... Kathy Reichs. They do. Um, so this, uh, they call them a doe, uh, was estimated at 5'5 and had a metal rod implanted in the right femur. The rod's lot number was traced and the batch was apparently shipped in the fall of 1998 at the time when Leah had her surgery. Didn't she have like a knee though? Or was it her femur? It was her femur. Oh. So, take that for what you will. Um... You haven't brought up Bigfoot yet. Uh, I don't believe that Bigfoot is a murderer like Hulu wants us to believe. Um, well, for starters, <laughs> who said he murdered her? You know, he could have just taken her under um, his his wing. That's true. Her and Bean, you know, like, welcome to the, welcome to the tribe. Um, and then second off, Hulu unconvinced us that Bigfoot was yeah, a you're right. murderer. That, you're right. So people still think that it was that man from the restaurant who did this. Um, someone said when it comes to the body of the, the mummified body of the remains, someone said there's a lot of disabled homeless people in the area, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was them. Someone said, could she have been pregnant? I've heard that a baby's DNA can be found in the mother's blood. Is it possible she was pregnant with the boy and that's what they picked up on DNA testing? I think that's a stretch. Yeah, I don't, I rolled my eyes at that. Yeah. Um, but they, it apparently, if they didn't bring in an anthropologist, like a good anthropologist, they could easily get the um, identification of somebody wrong. Yeah. Well, we so, are, I mean, we've talked about a few true crime stories, and the one thing they have in common is shoddy police work. So. That's true. Um, yeah. So, what do you, what, what do you think happened? I think, so I know that what happens in a lot of national parks and mountains are people, um, if you look at the map of the cave system in, in the United States and you look at a map of where people go missing, they pretty much overlap each other. So mm -hmm. I think what happened is she probably, I don't know, she, I don't know what happened with the vehicle, but honestly, I probably think that she's dead. Oh, she's dead for sure. I think. Um, 
yeah, she was on the start of her journey, <clears throat> went off-road, used her broken-down car as home base, um, went for a few hikes with Bean and, you know, made a wrong move and got stuck out there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it would be weird, though, if they think that that sighting was credible and it was 60 miles away. How did she get there? I don't know. I honestly, I hope that... I, and, and just wait till I finish the sentence. I hope that she's dead for the sake of... I pray that she was not, like, kidnapped and human trafficked. Yeah. Because that would just be ten times worse, so. But, like we said, if anybody out there in the universe has any information, or if you have seen her, contact the Sheriff's Department or the FBI. Let us know your know. thoughts. <laughs> if, if she's still alive... Um, and she's, I mean, 22 years, like, she doesn't want to be found. Leave her alone, you know? I disagree with that. Why? If she's been kidnapped and human trafficked. Well, so, like, if you're saying you're out and about and you see her, like, <laughs> was she given, like, a smoke break by her kidnappers? Like, what do you, like, what do you think... If there was, like, malicious intent behind her 22 years later, do you think that she'd just be, like, out in the public? No. So, like, I don't know. Just mind your own business, I guess. That's, I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah, but her family's got to get closure. But is she on purposely is not telling her family. What if she's not allowed to tell her family? What if she's being held captive? What if she doesn't know who she is? If she, I, if yeah, she with did those what ifs, yeah. Absolutely. If she, if she but did like, hit her head, like we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what happened. <laughs> she could just be out there having absolutely no idea who she is for the last twenty-two years. That's true. I don't know what to tell you. Hey. I'm just saying. If it were me, I would want somebody to say something. Even if I didn't want to be found. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Let's talk about something fun next week. Cool. <laughs> I'm all, uh, last few, or past you have bummed me out. I guess. That's fair. I'll pick something fun. I'll find somebody cool. Something cool. Something spooky. Something spooky. Okay. I'll see what I can do. I smell what you're stepping in. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that's all I got. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks for sticking around this long. Okay. <laughs> see you all next week. All right. Bye. <laughs> Sources for today's episode can be found on our website at anchor.fm slash Old North State Pod. If you want to send us a topic suggestion, a funny story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at oldnorthstatepod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Old North State Pod. 
Cheers, y'all.